everyone. I'm Denise Garth, Chief Strategy Officer at Majesco, and you're listening to the Future of Insurance Industry Leaders podcast series. Follow along as I interview the best and brightest leaders in the insurance industry and insure tech landscape to bring you the latest in digital transformation, innovation, industry trends, challenges, and opportunities, as well as next-gen technologies. We use our experience to anticipate what's next without losing sight of what's now. Stay tuned to find out your next now. Welcome, everybody, to today's podcast series. I'm excited uh, to introduce you to one of our new podcast series, Majesco Backstage Pass podcast series. This week, I'm going to have Pat Davis, our Senior Vice President and General Manager for Majesco Analytics, joining us. Welcome, Pat. Hey, Denise. Thanks for having me. Pat, one of the things that I always like to have people do ahead of time is that not everybody knows everybody in the industry, even though it's kind of a little small community, is to give a little bit of background on yourself and what we're doing at Majesco in focusing on data and analytics. I'm actually a programmer by trade. I started out working for a company here in Buffalo, New York that did um, loss control surveys and underwriting. And they didn't really have an electronic system. And we built an electronic system for them back in the late 90s and early 2000s. And it really opened my eyes to using the internet. I know it sounds crazy nowadays, but back then it was sort of a big deal to really change a business. And I think, you know, why that's going to be interesting and further in this podcast is really you know, the way that the internet changed things for a lot of businesses, I think machine learning, artificial intelligence and data is doing that today, but we'll, we'll, we'll hit on that later. But after building those loss control platforms for, for that company who, you know, scaled significantly, they grew, you know, almost 900% in size in four years. I realized the tremendous power that there was in having efficient workflow systems and having the data and the pieces to support it. And I started my own company to essentially build tools for the insurance industry, you know, that would allow people to do underwriting on property in that case. And so from there, you know, we built Loss Control 360. Loss Control 360, again, heavily structured database of loss control data, but also a field tool and virtual tool for doing surveys. And through that, we did over, at this point, over 20 million loss control surveys on all different types of properties all over the world. And as part of that journey, we actually hired our own data science team and that data science team was able to do some really interesting things with that data. As for an example, they were able to identify hazardous conditions for property underwriting from the photos that were taken. So if it was a bad electrical panel, or if it was an improper fire department riser, or there's many, many conditions we could identify in those pictures, we now could identify those just from a picture uploaded to our system. And we did that using machine learning and machine vision, training it off of the 200 million photos we'd collected from trained risk engineers. And that's just some of the examples of the things we're able to build on the, the loss control side. But like fast forward to now, uh, Loss Control 360 is now a Majesco product. They've tapped me on the shoulder to come in and help them with their data science and their data and analytics strategy. And here at Majesco, you know, we're sort of creating data and analytics products for day-to-day -day analytics, which is what we refer to for things like business intelligence and reporting and insights and sort of your table stakes, I guess you'd call it, of data management, along with our advanced analytics division, which really comes down to creating machine learning models, things like Majesco GPT, our new interface into our, our core systems. And from there, we're building those out, and we have a wonderful data science team and a wonderful data team that supports me uh, in that function. 
that's really fabulous background, Pat. And it really gives a, a sense of very, very deep interest in data and analytics, having come from all of the data that comes in from those loss control surveys. Data and analytics has long been a really hot topic in the industry for, for years. I mean, I've always said that data is the lifeblood of the industry because it is run on data in everything that we do. But it's become a much bigger and strategic focus for insurers. But they've got to have a foundation. And then they got to figure out where they can be focused on because there's so much that can be done. So what kind of a foundation should insurers be considering and, and what should they be focused on? And how are we kind of refining what we're doing from a data and analytics perspective to adapt and meet those needs and where they are, they should be focused on, Pat? Yeah, no, it's a really good question. I have seen the insides of a lot of insurance carriers, ecosystems for their data and their applications through selling our loss control product for so many years. I can't even tell you how many times I've gone into an insurance carrier that has four policy systems, you know, one for workers' comp and one for commercial property and one for personal auto. And heck, I've even been in one insurance carrier that had 11 policy systems. And that was just in the U.S. I think the, the biggest thing is that we are unwinding some legacy in insurance. It is an industry that has grown up over time, much like financial sectors did, like, like banks. You know, I don't think most insurers have completely unwound the legacy yet. I think there's a stepping stone that insurance companies can take in between, I guess we'd call current state and the future, or however you want to think about what the future is, to get yourself in sort of better conditions. So, I mean, the first key I sort of see, and it's going to seem really obvious, but it's going to be getting all your data in one place. And you might be saying, well, that seems like a very insurmountable task, given that we have multiple policy systems, multiple insured facing portals. We have a claim system from this vendor, and we have a... We have a homegrown system over here that does, you know, this specific line of business for cyber and it seems daunting. So the first thing, in my opinion, is you got to get all the data in one place. And how do you go about doing that? And I can talk a little bit about the strategy we used uh, at Majesco, which is, you know, first of all, cloud is really important to this, this strategy. So if you haven't made that leap yet, you really have to make it because a lot of the tool sets you're going to use today to do this type of consolidation is going to be cloud focused. So it's going to be companies like Microsoft with their Synapse product or Snowflake that has these, you know, large, uh, you know, to coin it, to use an older term, data lakes uh, products that you can essentially load data into from multiple sources. What we did at Majesco, and we don't just do it for our own data sets from our own systems, but we also can do it with carriers, source systems from other vendors, is we utilize those cloud data storage solutions to essentially replicate all data to those areas. You know, we'll take data from policy claims, digital first, loss control, and it will all get sorted into a single Microsoft Synapse instance. And then on top of that, there's tools out there that can help you to define your data sets and your data stores. So the one that we're happening to, to, to be using is Microsoft Purview. If you can, can't tell, we're a Microsoft shop over here. But there's other products with other vendors as well. And that helps you to define your data estate, as they call it, uh, which is all your different data assets across your company. And then it allows you to further define within your data estate all your data assets and then within those data assets, it allows you to define what that data actually is and what it does. I, I know it sounds like, okay, I get you. We need to replicate all of our data to a data lake. That's old thinking. But really, anything you want to do beyond that, any sort of cross-reporting or day-to-day -day analytics, or if you want to build your own machine learning models with your own data science team, or even if you want to bring in a third-party data science team to work on building models to help differentiate your company, you really have to have all your data in one place. 
Because my example with the loss control photos, like if we didn't have all those 200 million photos in one spot that were all tagged in a similar fashion and everything else, like we wouldn't have been able to create those models. Like our data science team would have been saying, I don't have access to the training data, right? So really step number one has to be that you get all your data into one spot. And we have found, you know, for our ecosystem that that's Microsoft Synapse, Microsoft Purview for the um, actual data definition of the data state. And then we're actually partnered with a company called Click, Q-L-I-K, that actually helps us to replicate that data in a near real-time fashion from all the other source systems. And we have the unique capability of bringing in other carrier data who are clients if they happen to use another policy system or if they happen to have a homegrown system, we can actually replicate that data up into the same instance and have the reporting sit on top of all that. So that's really number one. You know, number two is going to seem obvious also, but it's then layering like a day-to-day analytics solution or a BI or reporting solution on top of that new data lake you've created. And that's going to be kind of easier for you because if you're using something to define your data state and your data assets, like a purview, those tools nowadays, like a Power BI or like a Tableau, many of them can use connections into things like Purview um, that will help define all those different connections between all those parts of your data and how those connections are made and, and what they look like. And then it can actually suggest ways of querying that data. And really, it's, it's very tip of the spear right now. But many of those companies are integrating uh, ChatGPT and other GPT type models to automatically comb through those data states and data assets to create meaningful reporting. So really a great BI tool on top of all of it's number two. Number three, I think the easiest way to, for an insurance company to focus is to use commercially available models um, to start. I think many insurers aren't big enough to go hire a 10 or 20 person data science team, but they still want to utilize technology. Like I think pre-built models from companies like Majesco, um, but also from companies like Microsoft. OpenAI is partnered with Microsoft and models like ChatGPT and Azure Forms Recognizer are amazing tools that allow you to you know, really take use of even unstructured data. And there's a million AI models out there that you can utilize from these different vendors, including us. And you can embed those right in your other products. And I think that's really where you need to get started because that's going to be like your lowest lift for your internal teams to implement, but with the highest amount of return. And then, you know, long-term, if you want to build out your own data science team and your own models, you certainly can do that. And I encourage you to do it. But I think you have to get these foundational elements in place before you start even thinking about that. Because if you can't get all your data into one place, your data science team is going to have a very hard time building models. And if you honestly, if you can't leverage pre-built models that are already out there in the world, you could have the best data science team in the world. But if you're not good at using the models that are being built, you're, you're not going to get the best return out of it. You're going to, it's going to be too clunky. So really those are the steps. Get all your data into one place, replicate it in near real time, put a really great BI solution on top of it, use commercially available AI products. And then after that, it's build your own model. That's how we tend to look at it. Talk about hot topics. Obviously, AI machine learning is one of those hot topics and the buzzwords in the industry. And now chat GPT is the other new hot buzzword and topic. How do you see machine learning and AI changing insurance? How do you see chat GPT potential? And what areas are you going to see some real uh, value, new value and innovation coming out of these models and chat GPT, Pat? Yeah, it's a really great question. 
I mean, the one thing that ChatGPT, I'll start with that as the example. ChatGPT is absolutely wonderful with language. And by the way, one of my favorite things is to ask it to rewrite like a paragraph, like as a pirate or as a surfer. It's like one of the funniest things you can ask ChatGPT to do. You could take an email to a colleague, you could paste it in there and say, can you reword this like I'm a pirate? And it'll make it sound like you're like a full-fledged pirate. I think that's a, a wonderful use of that product. But no, in all seriousness, uh, ChatGPT has a wonderful understanding of language. It can write amazing paragraphs. It can write whole articles seemingly without a whole lot of input, honestly. And it's been trained off of basically all the text on the internet that's publicly available. Where ChatGPT is not good is facts. I know that's going to sound a little harsh, but if you ever really want to put that to the test, go to chat, go to OpenAI's test interface for ChatGPT and start asking it questions about the town you live in or about the company you work for. Specific questions like, you know, tell me about insurance company XYZ in detail. And you're going to find that it's going to get information wrong. It's like not going to know that, you know, maybe the year of incorporation is wrong or maybe the address where the, the primary headquarters location is, or maybe the current CEO is wrong. Because what ChatGPT isn't is a true knowledge repository. It's a language model. It can do amazing things with data you give it, facts you give it. But that's the key. You have to feed commercial models like ChatGPT if you want to utilize it in insurance. You know, a heavily regulated industry where facts matter, by the way. <laughs> yep. You have to feed it the facts. You can give it a whole policy document as an example, maybe went through Azure Form Recognizer first to clean it up. So I'm talking about a PDF, like a full policy binder. Put it through Azure Form Recognizer. That'll, that'll pull all the relevant text out and the, and the different pairs. Feed that to ChatGPT or Majesco GPT, like our models. And you can ask it to summarize a policy. And guess what? It's going to do it really great. And you'll be able to interrogate it and ask questions. Like, does this policy have cyber insurance coverage? If so, how much? Would this policy be, could this person drive for Uber on this policy? Like the chat GPT gets what that means. It actually understands like what Uber is. Like it gets the concept that that is, you know, livery. Basically, it's going to look for that endorsement or exclusion on the policy. It's very useful and it's super cool for like the right use cases if you feed it the right facts. And so that's where... You know, I sort of see when you're using large language models like ChatGPT, I think it's really going to be in the next six months, especially of 2023, you're going to find that ChatGPT is exploding. You're going to see it in tons of different applications. You're going to see much more interaction for language with different applications. It's really going to change the way people use applications, much like the internet did. I know that sounds like a crazy claim, but you know, in the way that the internet interconnected everything and made it so that you know we could upload photos and share stuff on Instagram or work from home, honestly, for our insurance jobs, ChatGPT is going to change the way we interact with applications. I think a good example of that, Denise, would be you know, in us tying up Majesco GPT, we had to rethink the user interface and how people were going to use it. Because now, like yep. to like our core system or to our policy system, now you can ask a question. You know, hey, summarize this policy for me, or hey, tell me if there's any open claims for ABC Industry Inc. Like, you have to actually rethink how someone's going to interact because now it's not like click on a button and go to the list of claims and then look it up using a keyword. And now it's like natural language. That's how I see like things like ChatGPT changing the industry in a significant way. I think some other examples of, of why it's so important to like get all your data in one place is how you build other data science models and AI models. And by the way, if you talk to any of the other AI companies out there, you guys all know the name of them. They will come in and do custom models off your own data too. So will Majesco actually with our services team. But what they need, the first thing they're going to ask you is, okay, great. What do you want us to build? Well, you know, we're having a lot of problems with claim subrogation and we're missing several opportunities. 
just as an example, and this is one we tackled recently in Majesco, they're going to need access to your claims data for that, all your claims data, access to all the claims notes, and they're going to need access to all the unstructured stuff. So attachments, pictures sent from the, by the insured, audio files or recordings from the phone system, like literally anything you have that can be indexed, they're going to need access to. And then much like what we did recently for subrogation, you know, we used millions of past claims and all that unstructured data. And we compared that unstructured data using machine learning to claims that were successfully subrogated. And then what we did is then we said, okay, now for claims that weren't successful, that, that were not subrogated. And then we you know, went through and we actually did all the analysis and we trained the full model to now be able to look for subrogation opportunities that were missed within that data. You can think about how you would apply that to all different types of litigation prediction. You know, what's the chances that this claim is going to end up in litigation? Maybe we should settle it early. Or in LNA, you know, a good example would be, is a short-term disability claim going to turn into a long-term disability claim? And you can sort of start to think through. I can see how if you took all the claims that we ever had and put them through this idea, this machine learning training, how you could sort of glean from that with AI, other types of claims that fit that general model. And that's exactly why it's so important to get all your data in one place, get it really well-defined, and then be able to have data science teams go take a shot at it. That's really how AI is going to be used in insurance. And then how's it going to change insurance? It's really going to be, I think where you're going to see the first hits of it is really increasing the efficiency of underwriters and claims agents, because it's going to make a lot of those two, three second decisions that get made today. It's going to make a lot of those be automated. And it's going to make it so that people can handle a higher caseload for adjudication or they can handle underwriting more policies because they only have to look at the ones that are sort of in the middle or gray. Now they don't have to look at every single one. And I love it. My, my lead data science person, Ed Rogers, he actually said the one time, he's like, if you really want to bit, boil it down for people, take anything that you have people doing today. And if it takes them less than five seconds looking at the data in whatever system they're using today to make a decision, you can automate that process with machine learning and AI. And I think that that's probably one of the, the easiest ways to really bake that down and think about it. A powerful know? statement. Yeah, I think so, right? It really makes you think about like the possibility. So it could be anything from, you know, sending a letter even to a claimant asking them for follow-up information. Chat GPT and AI models that are trained off of all your past interactions with claimants can write that letter automatically. And then you can ask that letter and you make that more sympathetic. Can you make this more legal? Can you make this more stern? And it can automatically reword the letter and it can automatically use a lot of, let's call it, rules and procedures that you have internally for what words are allowed and not allowed in these types of correspondences, it can automatically follow those rules. Anything that takes less than five seconds to make that decision on today, uh, machine learning is going to come in and, and automate those processes first. And then I think really the next place you're going to see like a lot of use of it is really heavy duty data interrogation. I think any question you have about the data in a system is going to be something that can be answered by these machine learning models and not just your own internal system, but external data, third-party data. And I think you're already seeing it in some underwriting capacities with things like BOPS, where they want to know the description of operations without sending somebody on site. They want to verify the description of operations versus what the business actually does. And using third-party data for things like social media profiles, their website, you can use natural language models to evaluate that relative to the sick code or relative to you know, the policy. And we can actually tell you like, hey, you know, they're serving liquor and there's no liquor liability on this. They're claiming to be an auto body repair shop, even though they don't have flammable liquid storage listed on their policy. And those are all things that are now going to get more and more automated over time.
those are the first areas in insurance that I think like sort of in the next sort of five years, you're going to see extreme amounts of efficiency and you're going to see some really interesting insights into the data. I don't think you're going to see a world where policies are automatically underwritten. I think the underwriter and the claims adjudicator are going to have a huge part of this process from now into the future. I just think their jobs are going to get a lot easier and we're going to have a lot better data to support them in making the right decisions. And I want to come back to that topic of data. It's something you and I have talked about and something that the roundtable is that we're going to be trying to pull some people in from customers and just the broader industry uh, to get some perspectives on where the priorities could be. But at the end of the day, if you don't have the data, you can't build the models and you can't train the models. And so we're seeing growth in data in lots of different places, both structured and unstructured. And it comes in all the different shapes and sizes, but data is not created equal. To your point, you got to get it pulled together into a repository of some type to be able to really leverage it and use it. Where do you see some of the priorities in data, having that as a trusted source? How do you kind of define a trusted source? And then how do you build out what we're calling, I guess, Pat, as a contributory database? Because we're putting a lot of data in there from our own customers, from this loss control surveys, from third-party data, that you can kind of have this menagerie of different pieces of data to really do some interesting things. Kind of talk about that and how that's going to be a, a game changer. Man, there's a lot packed into that. I mean, yeah, there is. I mean, a lot of the points I hit on earlier, you know, um, you know, using data governance tools to define your data state and data assets is, is really super key. And it's key because, you know, it also creates a level of trust. So if you look at some of these tools like Purview, not only do they allow you to define, okay, here is this database. This is what this database is. Here is this table. Here is what's in this table. Or here is this folder full of PDFs and here's what they are. But it allows you to like set the sensitivity level of those and the PII level of those items. It even allows you to set owners for those data assets. And then those owners can actually have rule sets attached to them for how often they need to certify that data or sign off on that data or validate that data. So these data governance tools like Purview do a, can really go a long way to not only you know, helping you to build AI models, which I'll get to in a second, or to creating really wonderful, you know, data and analytics solutions where you can do awesome BI, but they're really defining, like getting your arms around all the data assets. It just seems like so daunting to think about that at an insurance carrier when it's so distributed, because it's not just a matter of like, yeah, shove it all into one location and good luck. Don't get me wrong. A lot of data science teams out there would take that because a lot of data science teams don't even get that. A lot of data science teams that insurance carriers we talk to run into problems where they literally can't even get access to different data in different areas. But these data governance tools, I mean, they help you define the data, set the access permissions to the data, set you know the level of sensitivity in the data. They really go a long way to defining all those data assets in that data state. And like I said, I think the other cool thing that it can do is it can define the transformations for that data. In the past, unstructured data sort of was not great. But I mean past, I mean only three, four years ago. But a lot of the tools coming out today, like your chat GPTs that are heavily trained on language, like your Azure Forms Recognizer, like millions of tools out there that are now machine learning oriented. That unstructured data really became the new goldmine because I think a lot of people have been looking at structured data for a long time today. Every insurance carrier has been running reports on claims performance, right? Yep. Every insurance carrier knows which states are tough to do business in. <laughs> That's not like some epiphany, <laughs> but like now that you can look at the unstructured data, that all that stuff like PDF attachments and raw text and scan documents and accord forms and like, man, go down the rabbit hole. There, there's tons of crap. 
And some of the coolest stuff that I mentioned earlier is actually where they're doing recognizing stuff off a of language. So there's a lot of companies out there now that are using machine learning based and they're taking every single phone call that comes into a call center for the claims department or for underwriting or for customer service. And they're taking all those phone calls and then all those phone calls are being analyzed for a variety of things. But like take the easiest example of just tone. Like imagine if every single phone call that came into your customer service organization, you not only had a transcript of it, but you could tell the tone of the agent and the tone of the person. Think about like what that does for your ability to really impact customer service for your organization. If you know that at the end of the call, 98% of people were satisfied based on their tone and that 94% of your customer service agents were using appropriate language and customer service intonation or tone in their voice, you can meaningfully impact that. Like you can actually know who to retrain and you can know who's using non-approved language. And that's off a of voice. So like when you think of like unstructured data, like I think a lot of times we think it's like, oh, it's PDFs, <laughs> you know? But no, I mean, we're talking video, voice, scanned handwritten things, pictures. Yeah, like everything, right? That's all fair game now. And so I think that there's some absolutely wonderful areas out there with these data assets that I guess insurance carriers and other types of companies are just sitting on that they didn't even know what to do with them or new sources of data they weren't thinking about. My example about the call center, I mean, most telephone systems these days can just automatically record that stuff. I think there's just great opportunity out there for leveraging the data that you either have or can now generate easily and then using these commercial models to, to do something with them. And then using these data governance tools like Purview to really define those data estates so that you know what's in them. And then you can make sure that only people who should have access to those different areas have that access. And it's a great centralization tool for that. And the last piece I'll say, Denise, is that many of the commercially available machine learning and artificial intelligence tools like ChatGPT, the different BI tools out there like Power BI, Again, I'm using a lot of Microsoft examples because we're a Microsoft shop. They're automatically now over the next quarter to two, to two quarters are bringing in tools that leverage data governance tools like Purview to help define the models that the machine learning agents use. So for like a chat GPT as an example, you can tell chat GPT what your data model looks like for a database. And then you can ask chat GPT a question like, you can say, can you write me a query for total claims paid in the last quarter summed by the agent or the adjudicator. And ChatGPT can write that. But you know the reason it can write that is because it's looking at a data governance tool or a definition, which the definition is contained in the data governance tool. And it's able to understand the columns because you actually went into the data governance tool and said, you know, this column means total claims payment. This column means date claim settled. This column means, I mean, go down the line, right? And then this is what the relationships are between these tables. And this is where the claims PDFs are stored, but you have to transform those using a, an interim machine learning tool. And that's why ChatGPT can understand this stuff. So like Power BI and you know these other tools that are out there like ChatGPT have built in connectors for these data asset tools, these data state tools, data governance tools that allow them to understand what's in them. And because of that, you're able to use these commercially available AI models to interrogate your own data that you have today without having to really do tons and tons of work to tell it what it's looking at. 
So that's why it's critically important to me. Yeah. One thing, Pat, I think too, as I'm listening to you, kind of ties back to this contributory database concept is that if you look at the big companies, the big insurers, the tier ones and tier twos, they're overwhelming with lots of data and lots of data sources and lots of different types of data. But when you start going down into mid and the smaller market, they don't necessarily have a lot of data. They might be offering a lot of different lines of business, but they may have limited data. And then it becomes kind of a have versus a have not in the industry. And that's where I think the concept of contributory database, you're keeping things confidential, but you're able to actually pull the data together that it can serve a broader need not only for the smaller ones that don't have necessarily hordes of data to be able to really train a model effectively, but also for even for the big guys who may not have as much data on a specific line of business, because it's kind of a niche line of business, there could be real value for both. But we've kind of got to get out of this mindset that I own my own data and I'm not going to let anybody see it. Yes, yeah. you own your data, but you can have a much bigger value if you're willing to share it and contribute it in a way that keeps confidentiality. Agree? Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think, you know, the insurance industry is an interesting one in that everybody looks at their data, even if they're not using the data, as number one, confidential, but number two, they look at it as a differentiator in the market for themselves. But it's funny because we've run into this a lot, not so much in Majesco, but in my prior life, where people are very protective of their data assets and they don't want like anyone to get insights or train off them. And they're like, that's our data. It's my data. That's my market differentiator, but they're not doing anything with it. And so that's always a, a conundrum and a strange one for me is, is, that, is that they're almost saying, I don't know what the value in this is yet, but I don't want anyone else to have it, you know? So, but yeah, no, contributory databases, there's several that are starting to pop up there. I know Google has one right now that they're trying to push out. I think they're interesting for the right use cases for sure, where perhaps the data isn't necessarily a market differentiator for you specifically, but it does have value. And if you combine that with other people's data in some type of a consortium, you actually could all benefit from that. And yep. I think there's some examples of that outside of Google as well. There are some aerial image providers that are more community in nature that you have to sign up and be a member of. Obviously, you know, companies that do reinsurance, there are several of those that are starting to share data because they reinsure so many of the other insurance carriers anyway. So if you're a part of those groups of reinsurance companies, you can have access to those contributory models and contributory data. But, but you sort of hit the nail on the head. To have your own data be part of a contributory system, I think the main thing that you're doing is you're rolling it up and making it nonspecific. And that's typically what you're finding in these contributory systems is that you know, this is not like policy one, two, three, four, five, you know, Patrick Davis, one, two, three, Main Street is X, right? Like that's not what they are at all. They're typically going to be like rolled up a level to the point where they're not identifiable in any way. And, and I know that scares people because they think like, oh, you know, um, Facebook, Cambridge Analytica, <laughs> you know, all the different conspiracy type things out there. But I think in those circumstances, like that data was being used for some very negative purposes. Whereas I think in this case, we can actually use it to do good in this world. One of the key things we always said in the loss control side of the business is if we could, we would reduce all losses. We don't want losses, loss of life, loss of limb, loss of property. You know what I mean? If we can prevent those things, yes, we're getting a good insurance outcome from it, but you're actually doing something positive for the world in that conversation too. I think that there's a bit to that as well. Even if you think about like, NACCAT data or flood models or, you know, hazard identification or what have you. I think that there's definitely a place for contributory data. I think when it comes down to how insurance company ABC prices some exact product, 
I think that that's probably highly confidential and I don't, I'm not sure that we're going to see them share it anytime soon. But like I said, the, the most key part of like the contributory databases that do exist out there and the way to think about them is that the data has already been so rolled up or so de-identified. There's no way you could back it into the person that it actually was or the company or the automobile or what have you. It's that far apart. But then you can use that data to do really interesting things with machine learning. I mean, I remember a model I did years and years and years ago. So I'm sure there's something better out there today. But it was looking at personal lines auto. We were looking for additional drivers, actually. And this is going to sound so simplistic and stupid. But we basically looked at the types of vehicles that younger drivers would use. And then we paired that with third-party data around magazine subscriptions and people in the household and all these other things. And we came up with a model that could actually identify with really high accuracy the likeliness of an, an unlisted youthful driver in the household for personal lines auto. And so, you know, that's a place where like contributory data could be really interesting because, you know, in its own right, finding sort of unlisted youthful drivers is cute and novel. Uh, it's not unique to any insurance carrier. Like they're all doing that. They're all looking for that. Mm -hmm. So if that type of data was available where it was like demographic data about types of cars, ages, loss ratios on those cars, that type of information is just, it's not confidential. It doesn't point out a single person. You know, it doesn't help me change someone's, you know, like, like Cambridge Analytica did. It doesn't help change someone's vote in the election. <laughs> like it's not, yep. it's not nefarious. You know what I mean? Yep. It, just, it just helps the insurance carrier to do better underwriting. And that leads me to um, one of my last questions before I get to my very final question. And that is around underwriting, particularly for PNC this last year. It's been a, a challenging year from a property standpoint, but also from an auto standpoint with all of the different 18 uh, major billion dollar cat events in the U.S. alone. We really have to get back down to the basics of underwriting. But to do that, we really need access to different types of data and different types of insights to make those underwriting decisions. Heard the term that it's almost becoming an arms race now in terms of data and AI and machine learning to help in the underwriting process to help uh, insurers compete and kind of pull back and get into that underwriting profitability stage again. Kind of what are you hearing and what's your view on that, Pat? And I know that's a couple of the areas that we're really focused in on from a capability standpoint. Yeah, I mean, obviously the underwriting portion of the sphere is extremely important and it's the, it's the leading indicator to losses, right? And that's going to be the number one thing that changes your, your profitability ratios for your company and your combined ratios. Getting upfront on these things and trying to avoid losses before they happen is probably the easiest way to avoid future claims and future problems with your loss ratios. And I think that it's, it's a combined strategy, right? I don't think it's just okay, we have third-party data, good, we'll be covered. Like, that's not all you need to do. You know, it's not just use commercially available AI and machine learning. I think that'll give you another chunk of it, don't get me wrong, but that clearly isn't going to take you all the way to an A-plus result. And it probably comes down to, you know, a combination of all those things, right? Like, you have to have commercially available models in play. You have to have third-party data sources in play. And you really need to have your own data in play. I tend to think that there's almost no better place to look if you have it, to your point earlier, that sometimes if it was a new line of business or a smaller carrier, they might not. But if you do have your own data to help make those decisions, it's some of the most powerful things that you can do because you know how it's defined. You know how you go about paying losses and whether or not you know it's an open checkbook like some of the high value insurers or you know I'm using personal lines examples. Or if it's, you know, a lower cost national carrier that's going to be a little tighter on claims payments, like, you know, your own data, 
And the insights that you get from your own books and how you build machine learning models and how you even build day-to-day analytics around that data to make appropriate decisions, that is still going to be a huge driver for insurance carriers is looking inward. I think looking outward, I think bringing in the third-party data to try and identify problems before they you know, really pop up. I think utilizing tools for self-survey. I think there's a ton of examples, but it's a much more complicated arms race than it sounds like. It's not just like get all the data or get all the third-party data or just hire a hundred-person data science team. Like, like none of those things are going to differentiate you as a carrier. You have to follow a, a recipe, you know, and I think we laid some of that out here today, but you know, it's really about defining all your own internal data and setting up that governance. It's using, you know, a great analytics tool on top of that, just for your normal analytics and reporting and giving access to your current data teams. It's using commercially available AI to look for insights in your data automatically, but also to utilize commercially available AI to make yourself more efficient to reduce your combined ratios. It's using third-party companies like Majesco, or even there's a ton of them, but just to list a couple, there's Radiant AI and all kinds of other companies out there that are doing machine learning models specifically for insurance. And I think using them is also important. And then the last piece of it is building your own AI and ML tools with your own data science team or using a third party like us to build machine learning models off of your data that are confidential. It's like varying levels of sharpening the knife. You're sharpening the knife as you go. And to get the sharpest knife, you know, to get the razor edge is really when you're going to your own machine learning models that were created off your own data that are private to you, that's really where you're going for the sharpest tool that you possibly can. But there's a way to get to a perfectly great chef knife level of cut just using commercially available items in your, and the data that exists today and third-party vendors. And I think that that's where your small and mid-sized carriers need to focus is low lift, high impact. That's that lower two-thirds. The upper third is really custom machine learning models, your own data science team, or or using a consulting data science team. That's at the end of the process. Yeah, starting with that low lift uh, gives you the experience and better insights to understand what you need to do for that higher lift areas of focus. Yeah, and it makes sure that you're really ready for it. You know, like you need to be able to implement the low lift stuff before you start building the high lift stuff, because you got to prove that internally you have a motion to be able to actually perform those things and do something with. So Pat, it's been a great conversation. And I know we got lots of exciting things coming over this year with our spring release coming up and a lot of exciting things around um, Majesco GPT. But I'd like to kind of wrap this up. No pressure, but I haven't had anybody really talk about the same word except for three or four times in all the podcasts that we've done. So if you could pick one word or phrase to describe the future of insurance, what would it be and why? Well, I hate to be cliche about it, but like transformational, (laughs) it's like I said earlier, I don't think that any of this changes insurance overnight. I think insurance has been around forever. It's one of the oldest industries out there. I think that it's highly regulated. It's all these things, right? So it's hard to enact change. So I don't think any of it's overnight, but I do think that like other industries, you're going to see some pretty big transformations in insurance through machine learning. I think it's going to change the way things are priced. It's going to change the way things are underwritten. It's going to change the efficiency and the caseloads of adjudicators and underwriters. It's going to, the third-party data even coming in is going to change the way we underwrite risks and price risks. I mean, it's all those things. And I think the key strategy there is picking a provider that understands that that is the future. 
Because if you don't, you're just going to be stuck with a, a system that can't implement those things efficiently. I think that that's probably one of the most key things, honestly, is that you need these things to be embedded into the solution you use on a day-to-day basis. Because if they're not, it's much more difficult to leverage them. Picking a provider that understands it, that the idea of these tools is transformational is, is really key to making sure that you're future-proofed and are utilizing technologies to keep you at or ahead of your peers, you know, regardless if they're bigger or smaller than you, keeping yourself agile so you can compete or win in those growth battles or in those loss ratio battles that we have on a day-to-day. That's really about day-to-day operational intelligence, isn't it, Pat? Yeah, it really is. I mean, I think all the other sort of insights are interesting and I think we can help underwriting and claims and reduce fraud and all that great stuff. But I think there is a ton to be said about just increasing operational efficiency. When we talk about our combined ratios and our total cost of doing business, I mean, there's some real savings to be had just in making this process better. Well, Pat, as always, it's a fantastic conversation with you, and I'm looking forward to our roundtable conversations with others in the industry as we try to gather input and ideas around different areas of focus that we can really help improve that operational intelligence for the market and for the industry and for our customers. Awesome. Appreciate it, Denise. That's it for this week's episode of Future of Insurance podcast. Subscribe to our market-leading podcast series available wherever you get your podcast from. Thank you for listening and be sure to tune in the next time.